Listen to some of the best in modern audio drama right here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Chapter 17 By the time we hit the street, it was too late to do anything useful, so Trixie flagged a cab and told me to meet her in the morning at 36 Wellington Avenue. That's right downtown, I said. Yes, it is, she said, climbing into the taxi cab. What is that? I said out loud. I knew the block, but I was drawing a blank. I'll see you there at nine, she said. I have to get my car from Lish's, I said. The good lieutenant had once again arranged a lift for us in the back of a squad car, leaving me stranded. Then I guess you'll have to get up extra early, she said, not understanding me. She closed the door before I could protest further and was gone. I looked at my wristwatch. 10.15. Never let it be said that the cops don't know how to waste my time. I hoofed it north towards my apartment, where I would buy myself a drink and call it a day. It took a while to get there, so I made it two. Or possibly five. I hate getting up at the same time as everybody else. Whatever I'd consumed the night before, it wasn't enough to keep me in bed. I would have been prepared to swear that I had drank less than the decline in the level of brown liquor left in the bottle might suggest, but since I was resolutely alone, my best alternate theory is that I was plagued by alcoholic shoemaker's elves which seemed somehow unlikely. The point is that I didn't have a real hangover, and that wasn't why I hated getting up at that hour. Getting up was fine. Being up, going anywhere at the same time that the rest of the city was going somewhere else, that was my problem. Early, late, didn't much matter to me. I just disliked breaking stride constantly to keep from knocking people over, and for some reason the general populace was too self-involved to scamper obligingly out of my way. Maybe it was because it was a work day and they were all in character, ready to play whomever they were supposed to be. They were important, and I was not frightening enough to break them from that comfortable illusion. Perhaps I should invest in an eye patch. Hell, a blunderbuss wouldn't have been enough to buy me a little space on the Crosstown bus at that hour. At last, I was back in the relative isolation of my car and made my way stop and go right into the heart of the city. 28 Wellington was the federal building, and through some miracle there was a space out front, so I parked and walked towards Delaware. After a minute, I saw Trixie eating a hot dog and looking annoyed. You're late, she said. Yeah, but we both expected that, I said. You only said 9 o'clock, so I'd be 37 minutes late, and you could complain when I walked up instead of saying good morning. She paused for a moment, though I wasn't sure if she was thinking or just chewing. Good morning, she said at last. Was that so hard, I smiled. You're late, she said. I can't believe you're eating that, I said. It's nine in the morning. It's 9.37 in the morning, she said with her mouth full. My point stands, I said. She shrugged. This is when they're fresh. Have one. I shook my head. Black coffee, rye toast, and a boiled egg. I don't think he makes that, she said with a glance at the vendor who had sold her breakfast, whom she caught with his eyes on her backside. Was it nine in the morning to no one but me? No, I said. I mean, I know what you mean, she said. I just don't give a damn. Let's get at it. She turned and began to climb a large set of stairs toward a big gray slab of a building. Get at what? I asked. We're here, she said, pointing at the building. To my deep and obvious disgust, it was the central branch of the public library. 36 Wellington, I said. That's right, she said, heading up the stairs. Why didn't you just tell me to meet you at the library? I asked, following her. Because I wanted to see the look on your face, she said, and I didn't really feel like an argument last night. We need answers, because right now, we don't even know what the questions are. Such as what, I asked. There were a lot of stares. I realized that I was mimicking the girl detective's run, 
which had her stepping on every stair in rapid succession. Makes sense if you're wearing heels and a skirt, I guess. I went back to my normal style of walking up, taking three steps at a time, and it felt better. We reached the top of the long staircase, and Trixie grimaced with her hand on her side. Remind me not to go for a run right after I slam down a frankfurter, she said. I'm not sure how often that's going to come up, I said, but I'll try to remember. Trixie threw open the main doors and spoke in hushed but still urgent tones. So I got to thinking last night, while you and Sabian were barking at each other, the real mystery here is how this whole mess has been kept out of the papers. Well, I said, that and the whole double homicide thing. Details, she said with a wave of her hand as she headed down some steps from the main lobby. The stairs circled around gently as they carved their way into the bowels of the building. Where in the hell were we going? The point is, we think somebody at City Hall started the chain of calls that shut down Sabian, right? Sure, I said, not caring. So even if the calls from the other side of the law did come from Rossetti, which we don't really know, she said, and even if they were only related to Janet Tim's status as Rossetti's ex-chew toy, which we don't know, someone important intervened on behalf of your client. Maybe, I said. Trixie stopped her descent for a moment and considered this. Okay, she said, moving again. Maybe. But it seems likely. He does work there. This I grant you, I said. We reached the bottom of the steps and she flung open a door marked Periodical Archives. So it's a murder investigation, Trixie said, and it involves a sexy mistress, and your boy is a suspect. Even if he's not guilty, it could be embarrassing, and remember, City Hall is a place where people try very hard to avoid being attached to a scandal, since public opinion can result in them losing their job. So, I was working hard to maintain the illusion that I was completely disinterested in this train of thought, and it was starting to make a certain amount of sense. So let's just say you're somebody important. It's a stretch, but let's pretend, she said. If you intercede on Roger Mayfield's behalf, you could be putting your career in serious jeopardy. Remember, you're calling off the police, or at least getting them to keep their mouths shut, but you can't call off the papers. Somebody else is doing that, and you might not even know it's happening. I thought about this. So by putting the reins on Sabian, I said, I'm risking connecting myself or my bosses to a messy public relations disaster that might be about to happen anyway. Yes, Trixie said, smiling. So why am I doing this for little old Roger Mayfield, I asked. It's an interesting question, she said. Let's go ask him, I said. Don't be stupid, she said. He won't tell you. Then let's ask somebody else, I shrugged. No one is going to talk to us, Jack, she said. Not if we don't try, I said. We need to know what's going on, she said. And that means finding out what Roger Mayfield is really working on. And therefore why he is so important to somebody or a small group of somebody's. She stopped at a set of drawers and pulled one open. Microcards, she said. I know what they are, I said. She ignored this. These contain tiny photographs of newspapers, which we can read with the aid of those machines over there. I know what they are, I repeated. In the front of every newspaper, she said, heading towards the machine with a small pile of microcards, there is a whole section that has nothing whatsoever to do with sports. I know it, I said. Sometimes they put the puzzle there. Nice, she said. They also put stories on public matters, such as those which occur in and around City Hall in there. And we are going to read them. Why? I asked, knowing the answer but hoping for her to slip up and give me something to base a counter-argument on. Because I said so, she said simply. And that was the end of that. What are we supposed to be looking for? I protested. The name Roger Mayfield or the words City Planner would be a good place to start. We might want to keep notes about what city issues are dealt with on which card number, she said, so you can find them again later when we know which story we're actually interested in. I'm not interested in any of them, I said. 
Fine, she said, but this is the boring part. This is where we scan every paper looking for where to start. It'll go much faster if we both look. After that, if you're still stupid, you can bring me trays when I ask for them. I don't like you very much, I reminded her. Excellent, she said. I was afraid I might be slipping. It took two and a half hours to find any lateral reference to my client in the archives. Politicians make the papers. Civil servants are supposed to be invisible. This was the worst part, scanning card after card, suddenly realizing that I had no memory of the previous eight minutes, and wondering if I had missed what we were looking for in the process. Finally, his name popped up in an article on a public meeting with the Riverton Residents Association, which I was surprised to learn existed. It was just a sidebar, but Roger Mayfield of the city planner's office was to be one of several speakers at the meeting to deal with concerns about the Long Branch Expressway project, of which Mayfield was the chief planner. And so began stage two, in which Trixie read everything that the papers had to say about the Long Branch. This seemed a little unnecessary. It was an expressway. They were popping up all over the country. Supposed to make it easier for folks who had moved their 2.5 kids out to the sticks to get back into the city for work and play. Supposed to guarantee prosperity for generations to come. Rah, rah stuff. I had heard the talk, mostly at the barbershop. But there was no dissuading her once she got going. I shuttled trays of cards back and forth for a while before being replaced by an earnest male librarian in a cardigan who seemed to know Trixie and eyed me in dismay. He offered his expert advice and brought things much more quickly than I did, and then stood quietly beside her while she stared into the card reader, undressing her with his eyes with a religious fervency. His desperation was palpable and seemed destined to end in disappointment, but I elected to give him some space, and took a small nap at an unoccupied reading table under a copy of a hopelessly out-of-date foreign periodical. I awoke to the sudden removal of the newspaper from my face three hours later. Okay, she said. What did I miss? I asked. Did Poindexter get lucky? She smiled in spite of herself. He did not. He's much too useful in his current state of agitation. That's tough but fair, I said, stretching. What do we know? Roger Mayfield is the lead pencil pusher on the Long Branch Project, she said, which has gone in a hurry from theoretical plan for the city of tomorrow to about to happen. A big hurry. How did that happen? I asked. It's an election year, she said. Federal politicians like to have their pictures taken in front of bulldozers. So the money started flowing, I said. Both taps on full, she said. That makes things interesting, I said. It does, doesn't it, Sleeping Beauty, she asked. Any reason for somebody at City Hall to think that Mayfield being arrested for the murder of his nubile and very willing ex-gangster's mall of a mistress can derail the deal? Trixie shook her head. Nothing can derail this deal, she said. It's a monster. So we're back to zero, I asked. She shrugged. The Riverton thing is bugging me, she said. I blinked at her. Pretend that I wasn't paying any attention, I said. She frowned. The route of this expressway has been planned for years. A straight run into the city and right into the heart of downtown. Keep the cars running at full speed the whole way. That's the idea. So what does this have to do with Riverton, I asked. Riverton was a poor neighborhood about 20 blocks to the west. No one driving in from anywhere wanted to go to Riverton. In the last six months, the map's been redrawn, she said. Right around the time that federal money started to flow. The Long Branch now comes straight into Riverton. I shook my head. Maybe I was just still sleepy. And dumps off an expressway full of cars into crosstown traffic. Yeah, this was the question, Trixie nodded. Stuff about traffic flow, re-engagement of underutilized civic assets, that kind of thing. What is that supposed to mean, I asked. Trixie shrugged. I wasn't all that clear on it either, she said. But I was going a little cross-eyed by that point. He seems to have made his case. Every paper in town ran an editorial in support of the new plan. 
I raised an eyebrow. There is nothing quite so suspicious as a room full of news hawks agreeing on anything. Trixie made a face. It might not be as exciting as all that, she said. Bringing the expressway into the city means tearing down a fair piece of the place where it lands. It might just be cheaper to run it through Riverton. There's not much there. Is that what underutilized civic asset means, I asked? Too poor to object? Too poor for anybody to give a damn, anyway, Trixie said. But it's mostly federal money, so I don't know why City Hall is counting the beans. I can't see any way for them to put the leftovers into their own pockets. But one way or another, your mousy little city planner is in charge of millions of dollars and the destiny of untold masses. I smiled. Well, glory be, I said. This is why he writes a cover-up. Trixie nodded. He's at the front of the pack right now, which means if he gets publicly humiliated, it smears the whole job. There are plenty of pictures of Mayfield speaking at public meetings with the mayor or a councilman or two in the shot. He might be a lot more important than he thinks he is. Okay, I said. So what does all this have to do with his dead mistress, her dead ex-boyfriend with the dirty pictures, or the entire Rossetti crime family? Trixie shrugged. I don't know. Let's go ask him. Ask who? I said, a little lost. Roger Mayfield, she said simply. Isn't that what I wanted to do at 9 o'clock in the morning? I asked, annoyed. 9.37, she reminded, and there's a difference. Which is, I asked. When you wanted to do it, it was a stupid idea, she said with a smile. Ah, I said, of course. You ready for one of those hot dogs yet, she asked. I thought about it, and decided I was. This is Thursday Thrillers, audio with action on the Mutual Audio Network. Join us tomorrow on Mutual with Friday Follies, the end of the week collection of comedy cut-ups. You can subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for every day of audio drama that fits your fancy. Or find the Friday Follies feed in your favorite podcast players. Now that's a lot of F's. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.